So good evening, and welcome to Cinema Death Cult, a eulogy for the death of motion pictures podcast. Oh, I'm Adam Bolger, your host, and tonight I'm discussing the 2004 music documentary Dig. Shot over seven years, Dig explores the tumultuous relationship between 90s alternative rock bands, the Brian Jonestown Massacre, and the Dandy Warhols. Initially friends and mutual admirers, the Dandies and the Brian Jonestown Massacre members became bitter enemies as the Dandies strove for commercial success and the Brian Jonestown Massacre imploded under the stress of frontman Anton Newcomb's flamboyant self-destruction. Although the bands are relatively obscure, and perhaps rightly so, I believe that Dig is among the greatest music documentaries ever made. To explore this seminal rock and roll document, I'm joined by returning guest Dave Sagrana whose name I think I'm pronouncing correctly now. You're nailing it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the show, dude. Thanks, man. I mean, this yeah. is, I, I, I remember we after we did the Zappa one, we were just like, I was like, have you ever seen Dig? Yeah. <laughs> and you were like, oh my God, that's the best. And I'm like, it's my favorite, it's my favorite, favorite music documentary, It's which is amazing. Like, I, I don't know why I, I think I rented it. Here's, okay, so. I had no stake in it at all. I have no idea why I rented it. I don't generally watch uh, music documentaries unless I'm interested at all in the music. Yeah. And yeah. no, just basically no interest. I'm not like that. Well, ver like there's like a very serious black hole from like the late nineties, mid to late nineties through like the early two thousands for me because of the jazz vortex I was in from college. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, you were. Um, I, I hate to admit it, but Anton yeah. Anton Newcomb is one of the most magnetic screen characters <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> He's like in, insanely charismatic, which does not translate to his music, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, I think we should get that out of the way first. I'm not a fan of the Dandy Warhols or the Brian Jones Tabasco. I don't think you are either. No, certainly not. I think, like, on paper, I would probably be more likely than you yes. to be fans of these bands. Because I'm more like, I like indie rock stuff, and I like more, you know, sort of charmingly amateurish, I suppose, music. Yeah. yeah. Whereas whereas you're a stuck-up Ivory Tower jazz snob. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I am I used to really be that way. As I've gotten older, I've mellowed. I do, like, appreciate that, but I still, like, need a little bit of craftsmanship. Um, and so, yeah, but so both of us are not fans of these bands at all, but we find like, I find this documentary, this is the second or third time I've watched it, and it's just so riveting. And yeah, I agree with you. A lot of it's Anton. He uh, He's a charismatic figure, but it's like all negative charisma, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and like what, there's, there's a scene at the end of Dig where he's at the knitting factory in LA. It doesn't was matter. that when the people were throwing fruit at him? It, it, was, the, it was the next rant. Okay. It was the one where he kicks the guy in the head. I think it was the same. I thought it was the same night. But no, you know, I night. thought it when I was watching it. I was like, oh, this is where he kicks the guy in the head. I can't wait. And then, like, he didn't kick anyone in the head. And uh, because there was also in both um, scenes, yeah, there was a, um, a girl singer in both scenes. I right. think the first one was Miranda 
Lee Richard. And the second one is his ex-girlfriend who he refers to as his sister. Right. Which yeah. is so Jack White of him. Um <laughs> that's the one where he kicks someone in the head and it's like yeah. you're like it's like yeah just like whoa that's assault dude like it's, yeah it's amazing well he was and that's when he's arrested but, let, but let's back up just a little bit so he, he's yeah. the brian jones sam master they're like how would you describe them okay they're like the ultimate revisionist psychedelic folk rock yeah. possible like the most we're sort of the rolling stones but also sort of like on a laurel canyon thing um, yeah yeah. But like not good at all. Yes. In the mo- but just the scene. Like there's yeah. there's actually a scene in there where Miranda Lee Richards says she's like, you know, it's it's all those groups in the sixties, they, they became famous before they became junkies. That's the right, difference. Yeah. Like like and it's such a there's a couple lines in there by people not who who are not Anton that are yeah. so like just fucking nail it. The, and and not, yeah. another one is actually Courtney says something. Courtney Taylor Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's a, he, we'll talk about him at some point. Yeah, the lead singer of the Dandy Warhols, yeah. But he says he's like, that band is like for, a, like a, a group of 14-year-old boys from broken homes yeah, just like let loose on the world. Just a complete nightmare. And it's, he's, I mean, he now, that's exactly what it is. And it's like, yeah. it's fascinating to watch. It's, it's a car fire that you can't look away from. It's the Ryan Jones Massacre. Like I, I think they were filed away on streaming services as like neo psychedelic, kind of retro, but kind of a pastiche, but yeah. also I mean not good at all. Like he's not a good, he's not a super good singer. No. I, yeah, it's I mean it's I'm trying to just, okay I'll describe it without criticizing that I guess it's a psychedelic. Uh, I'm trying to stay. I have a gl- I was gonna say it's all like two chord first take songs. Yes. <laughs> hundred <laughs> percent. I don't mean to be a chord like the amount of chord snob in yeah. a song because this song could have four chords and be fucking amazing and just yeah. not do anything else. I mean, like get lucky or something, you know, like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or but like any any Rolling Stones, any yes, great Rolling Stones. Song. Totally. Um, yeah. And and the thing is, and he's just like I try to listen to. Uh, he's prolific, if nothing else. Right. I he, will yeah, say he's he famously prolific. recorded like three or four full albums in one single year. Mm-hmm. Which again, it's like it sounds impressive, but then you're like, these all these songs are two chords and one take, and and how hard could that fucking be? Like you just did a bunch of heroin and you were in a music studio. There's absolutely no. There's like like I said before, there's no craftsmanship to it at all. It's just yeah. it's just complete, just utter, just thrown together. That's the thing about these two bands is like, and and the Danny Warhols is not at least. I mean, they have a couple things. That, both bands have things that are like a couple like catchy little things happen. Yeah, but the Danny and- Warhols at least like try to like make the music sound good. Like it's like a it's a turd and a polished turd. <laughs> I think is what I texted you. That's what he said. (laughs) I think that the Brian Jonestown Master are going for like a drone thing and kind of like a a vibe, you know, and it's sort of like, sort of, you could compare it to somebody like, um, like Krautrock kind of a little bit or like Stereolab or that kind of repetition, but you're trying to, through that repetition, you're trying to get this kind of thing, a druggy kind of hazy, you know, psychedelic thing. Right. But I don't think they're super successful at it. And also those bands 
are a lot more memorable. And yeah, I think that you're, yeah, I agree that every once in a while, like Brian Jonestown Massacre will stumble on something kind of a little bit catchy, something that's kind of good, but it's mostly like textural, I think, right? Yes, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I, I don't think yeah. that there's a lot of melodic content that is singable <laughs> at all. And, yeah. and the weird thing about the Dandy Warhols is they have this like polished, like a, a much more polished sound and like a couple little catchy hooks. I found, I found myself at first hating Bohemian like you. Yeah. Yeah, because of the intro, and then I find my, found myself being like, "Oh, this is actually kind of a good chorus," and the the <laughs> words are actually kind of good in this like kind of snotty, you know, nineties yeah. indie rock vibe. I, I I thought I thought that song is actually good, but the problem with those guys is Courtney is just like he literally has a range of like a fifth. He has a range. Of, I think his <laughs> range is worse than Frank Zappa. I mean, it's so yeah. It's so limited, and it's just like I'm yeah. just if those guys had a good singer, they could yeah. have actually been a really good band. Like I, I feel like the guitar player was cool, and the drummer, even though he got kicked out, and the other drummer yeah. was fine too. Whatever, you know. Yeah. And I like, and I thought the um, Zia, the keyboardist, I thought she was totally cool. I don't know if she could really play, but I thought she brought no. a vibe to it, and she yeah, seemed, she brought a vibe, and she seemed nice, but, honestly. Yeah, she seems like a nice person. She has the one moment in the film where she's like, she's like, I get to be in this great band who's successful, and all the times I bought Coke. Yeah, she's like, she's like, I'm the one who buys all the Coke. (laughs) Just like, goddamn. So you're like this rock and roll chick doormat kind of, kind of. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, regardless of the music, the film itself is it's a perfect documentary. (laughs) It is because, like you were saying before, that most time you watch music documentaries, it's like musicians that you're interested in and i think it's so helpful in this case to not like their music or not be invested in it yes fucking yeah. totally that i i think that's really what sells it for me and i think it's it's kind of smart well also there's there, they have tons of footage like they've how yeah. long did they take it to film it you were seven years it? holy shit I well, mean, was, they spent seven years with the dandy warhols and two years with the brian jonestown massacre <laughs> anymore and you might get killed yeah it's the same um arc as spinal tap with the dandy warhols for a while yeah first half yeah because it's like they have this big promotional push and there's gonna be a big thing it's like in uh fran drescher comes out it's like oh spinal tap smell the glove we're gonna do you know (laughs) fucking you know (laughs) they're gonna do the big promotion but then like they by the time they get to then the shows get canceled or they fuck up and Whatever, and nobody's buying the record and you see that <laughs> you're really disappointing sir dennis eaton hog <laughs> yeah but then they kind of they are successful but in this weird way that I think in europe they're... that's what it is like they're like they're yeah. like wild they're like there's a there's a scene where courtney is talking to like the press guy from i don't know he sounded like he had a german accent and, and the guy's like yeah well you know you, you guys are selling great here and he's like really <laughs> like yeah like what the like how do you not know that dude it's kind of amazing that they just didn't know and they were like like they realized that they're actually doing really well in europe and selling really well and then they start like partying like rock stars like they should be and like being happy about their position there because yeah the the, mainly this movie is about these two bands and there's a story and there's a narrative which is like them their relationship right and they start as friends and they start like then they then their relationship sours and they become like bitter enemies but i guess later they made amends they reunited on stage at least once oh wow interesting yeah yeah like in 2014 i 
at least then and they seem like friendly and stuff you know the interesting thing is that danny warhol guys all yeah. of them like they never wavered on their on on their love for or their respect for anton and they're like just like <laughs> yeah. admiration for this guy and i'm just like why well, just don't, i don't hear it guys like yeah, it's not like, like these songs aren't that Sorry. can i ask you a question real quick yeah sure who do you consider a genius just in I, general anywhere just anywhere i mean well not me but anyone else <laughs> <laughs> i i would say like you know Jimi hendrix for music you know somebody like you know, natural talent yeah you know like Jimi hendrix who just absolutely just sort of effortlessly innovate and and flow with something like music like that right like, like Bach, channeling you know. something or, yeah, yeah yeah i agree or like Bach or like paul mccartney you know just just yes. sort of sees like lines in space of music and you know, oh, what do we do in minor over here? You know, whatever. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a level of cultivating that natural ability that happens with something yeah. like Paul McCartney. Maybe not like Hendrix so much. I don't feel like Hendrix was like, oh, man, I better practice these scales. <laughs> like that was <laughs> not his vibe. But like someone yeah. like McCartney was a genius who like continued to like cultivate his genius. I yeah. mean, the word genius is bandied about in this fucking movie so much talking about Anton yeah. that I'm just like I and they must say genius they must refer to him as a genius like 15 or 20 times in this you know, movie and it's so funny you bring that up because I, I have I have a, a page of notes and thoughts and you've seen the Royal Tenenbaums right yes you remember Eli Cash Owen Willen's ca- character where he's reading the review and he's like why would they make a point to say I'm not a genius <laughs> Oh, you didn't have to think about that for a second, did you? And I, that's what I was thinking watching this movie was that quote. Like, it's really important to say Anton Newcomb is not a genius. Yes, right. Let's make one thing very, very clear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's not a genius at all. And yeah, because he's not, he's, but he has this arrogance that I think that's yes. really what, that's really what is so alluring, I think, to the Dandy Warhols people to a degree. I think also you can make the argument, you have to think about it at the time, like 1990, or mid-96? Yeah, somewhere, like the mid-90s, because I think that that kind of pastiche culture, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that was, that seemed like something new and interesting. And also take, you know, okay, so we're going to, we're going to take a little bit of the Rolling Stones, take a little bit of Velvet Underground, but we're also going to do this droney thing, and we're going to be, you know. I think that might have seemed like innovative and special. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. I guess coming back on it, I'm just, I guess other people have like also tried to do that since then. And More successfully, arguably. Oh, too. for sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess Oasis was kind of doing that. Like, I mean, I guess all those Britpop bands were kind of doing yeah. that already anyway. Um, and they're doing more like the Dandy Warhol-y thing. Well, I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, no, no, you're right. You're right. Totally. But I feel like I feel like someone like Elliot Smith was doing like the acoustic kind of like psychedelic acoustic thing like on his early albums like wait right. I mean, that's not even close i mean elliot smith is a- well i'd say like like something like matthew star mm-hmm. like that vibe is which is like 1991 1993-ish mm-hmm. that's very close like the acoustic what they're going for i think in the acoustic stuff at the brian jonestown massacre oh for sure but it's, but it's much better like yeah. it's oh, the same atmosphere way and, better and, yeah the other the other band I, that it made me think of was a little bit like morphine in a way that it just yeah. had this like sort of drony morose kind yeah. of but like they're so much cooler at heroin of course 
but um, all the also um all the shoegaze stuff like they're yes. like all the all those like my bloody my Valentine. bloody Valentine, totally yeah i know very little about that i don't i'm not yeah. never a big shoegaze fan yeah but, but let's, um, not, let's not bring up shoegaze i don't really know anything about it either I just yeah. Know that, like, yeah and also like spiritualized like there are a bunch of bands that were around that time i think we we're attempting similar things but you know like like spiritualized for example very druggy you know very like kind of a similar figure that they're led by and, and but they were had a much better sense of dynamics and music yeah and, and they're and also they're also like borrowing a lot from 60s stuff you know right. like 60s retro whatever for sure i, I don't want to spend the whole time <laughs> just bitching about it just stuff, yeah just, just saying say about everybody who's better than the project right <laughs> right but i but i think that they were you could see how they could seem like they were special i think at the time because also like i was saying like the mid 90s you also have the rise of like um techno obviously you know so it's like the chemical brothers and daft punk and fat boy slim right starting you know, they're all coming out and there's sort of a similar vibe, like this druggy feel like, you know, but it's not guitars and shit. Cause like by right. then you also had had in 30 years of annoying guitar bands. And so it's harder to get like that. Dang. We're all going to take X. Watch it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, play, I love guitar, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. Like that... a hundred percent. No, no, totally. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. The, the, but, yeah, just the, the like environment had changed as far as like what yeah. was hip musically. For sure. And I think if you wanted to be like, hold on to that rock and roll element, but still have some kind of that, um, like a rave kind of experience, <laughs> like maybe like um, Brian Jones and Massacre could have looked like that, you know, like, yeah. like, like, cause at the beginning of the movie, like the Genesis P Orridge was kind of a, you know, she was kind of like a important person. Kind yeah. Of yeah. Like she's well known. Tastemaker. Yeah. She's For well sure. Known. Yeah, yeah, uh, and so she comes out to say like that they're my they're my two favorite bands of the future of rock and roll, and maybe just like she saw the camera, I knew that she could get in the documentary. She said this shit, but, <laughs> you know. But it's, it was a little puzzling to me. I'm like, because you know you're you know your shit, and you're saying this about these bands. I find them mediocre. I'm like, well, maybe that would be the argument for their importance. Uh, yeah, this, I guess it's like a sociological experiment this whole documentary i mean they're just like how much can a narcissist yes yeah like make you think that he's great like you know, you know <laughs> I mean, it's it, i mean that's really what it is i mean these this that the like german i don't know if she was an a and r person or something i can't remember but she was definitely had a german accent but she was just like he's a genius like that's the first thing she says in the in the documentary yeah and also the guy from god the record label that they eventually got signed to tvt TVT, right? That yeah. that guy was also just like he was just so. I just, I just like I can't wrap my head. It's a QAnon. <laughs> like I can't wrap my head around. It's it's almost like a Mister Show sketch, like for ninety minutes, <laughs> totally. because like they're like he was a genius. We couldn't believe what he was doing, and then they cut to him like playing an out of tune yes. acoustic guitar. <laughs> so much. There's so much out of tune guitar in this documentary. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Wait, the thing, so, okay, so the weird thing is, and and not to go not to go away from the movie too much, but I did I did yeah, go to yeah. listen. I did listen to something. What's a mental illness album? Oh, thank God for mental. Thank God illness, for mental. Yeah, thank God for mental illness. Yeah. I I did go to listen to that, and I'm just like, why did you record this album without a drummer? All their time, <laughs> everyone has the worst time in that band, and they're just like, yeah. and they're like clapping on like two and four or like whatever, and there's a tampering, and everything is just like. Blah, blah, blah. everything is like it's like a flam everything is just like 
like nothing nothing ever hits on time and i'm just like right. why did you guys make this album because and, half of them were drunk and the other half were on heroin yeah that's a good point yeah. I, I get i get why it came out that way but why did yeah. you still release it like even like those bands that they that they obviously admired and were emulating yeah i mean figure like i'm sure they had their off nights and like played some shit that the time is not great or whatever but like at least like it was close. I mean, this is like it's. Yeah. Not, it was unlistenable after a couple tunes. I was. I just like. Yeah. I'm like. I can't. I can't do this anymore. This is. <laughs> this really. I thought. Yeah. I found them very hard to listen to. I. I. I pointed out to you via text the two songs I thought were were fun were good. Yeah. The one. And Ebony. Yeah, yeah. And um. Straight and straight and something. Straight up and down. Um, yeah. Straight up and down. And Anemone, because uh, Anton Newcomb is he's not a good singer at all. Is like you talked about Courtney Taylor Taylor's limited vocal range. He also has a limited vocal range, but also he's not expressive. And yeah, they both suck. They're both bad lead singers. Yeah, both bad lead singers. And he doesn't, his charisma, you're right, his charisma does not travel as far as the microphone. It doesn't. It's so wild because he is super charismatic on screen. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, like not really in a positive way, but like, no, you it's know. like Trump almost. Yeah, I was just gonna say the guy who is just present, the former guy. Yeah, one thing he does not like is charisma. Super yeah. charismatic, totally bonkers. Yeah, I could see why people are drawn to it, but I don't understand why they're drawn to the music. Yeah, I think you have to look at it at the time and also just sort of at a, a little bit of the context of it. Sure, it's not good, but I could see how somebody could. I also think like if I was nineteen. I might have been like, oh, this band, I might have liked it, you know, or kidded myself into liking it because it's something about it that was extra musical about it appealed to me. Because right. like the, the main plot of the movie is about the tension between the two bands, and that's amazing. But also there's this interesting subcurrent just about what fucking insular dummies these record a and r people are yes that is actually an excellent point that's totally yeah. true that's what record labels are in general they're they're they will always err to the side of just being safe and picking the thing that they think people will like because they've heard it before but i don't even think that i think it's also that these people go into like record a like music industry a and r professionals like mm-hmm. these people want to be cool yeah and they yeah. want this aspiration thing yeah and so you have Dandy Warhols and all their songs are like insular hipster bitching. Yes. And I, I want to talk about that more in a little, in a minute, but also yeah. then you have the, you have this insular thing about with the Brian Jones Town massacre. It makes you feel cool. Like you're part of this inside thing. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. That totally makes sense. A and R people do are just, just nerd. Like, Right. they're then, wannabes it's like a wannabe yeah like, like hey whatever a and r guy wants to give me oh there are no record companies anymore never mind i don't care right. fuck you guys so yeah um <laughs> by the way really- well, they're all people that want to be cool and so you know then you have these two different avenues of how to be cool yeah at the very beginning anton is like looking at the camera he's like we're here to destroy this fucking system <laughs> I and i'm just like i'm just like what are you gonna destroy the system with like some music that sounds like it was made in 1968 i mean it didn't make any fucking sense it's like you're not no. there's nothing innovative there's yeah. zero innovation I yeah. mean, you're going to destroy the system by like living in squalor and doing a ton of heroin. Right. Yeah. And well, what, yeah. What is the goals of your, he, I love that too. The, what is the goals of your revolution? 
just to be like on a lot of heroin and getting into fights on stage. It's it's amazing that he said that. He's so insanely like he's so delusional about his importance. Yeah, it's wild. And oh, and by the way, really quick, I I was so curious what was up with Joel Gion at this point in his life. Yeah, and I did find out in his Wikipedia page. Yeah, he was on an episode of Gilmore Girls. Oh yeah, okay, that sounds about right. I think that. Guess the, what? He, guess the Dandy Warhol's music. I think Dandy Warhol's were on an episode of Gilmore Girls. Oh, really? It's very possible. Oh, no, 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 no. Gossip Girl. Oh, God. Really? That's actually, I think so. Something that's, like that. That's somehow better in a way. Uh, but guess what Joel did in that episode? He played tambourine in the band. Oh, yeah. There you go. Well, he was a tambourine player for the Brian Jonestown Massacre. I mean, what it a, is, I, is, yeah. If anyone has a racket, like if the, if there's a racket to be had, it's like playing tambourine in a psychedelic rock band. Yeah, that, like that's that's the way to go, man. He was just more like the vibes, yeah, guy. for sure, for like sure, the good he vibe. Because he was not musically threatening to Anton, or like right. le- he didn't want leadership. You know, he just wanted to kind of get. He seemed like I'm assuming he was drunk all the time. He seemed to be drunk all the time. Yeah. Although he was, tr- he was also charismatic because he was a character. He was very charismatic, yeah. He was a character, yeah. and even the, there was even a point where like Anton didn't want to go to that like A and R <laughs> meeting or something. So he he sent he sent Joel as his proxy. And no, the manager decided that. Oh, is that kind of like Jersey looking fat dude manager yeah, for a yeah, minute? Totally. I love that guy. <laughs> that guy's like, this is a fucking disaster. I can't believe I'm involved with this. Yeah. So he, I think he did some quick math and was like, hey, this record label wants to sign us. I better send the tambourine player. Anton's in no shape for this. <laughs> but the thing is, but the weird thing is, so like Anton then, like at the end of that meeting where Joel like charmed all these record company people at dinner. Yeah. Which I could see happening easily. Yeah, he's a common guy. And then Anton calls and they have him on a speakerphone. Like the, I think it's probably the next day or something. And yeah. Anton calls in and they have him on speakerphone and he's like, Hey man, thank you so much for your time. This is really incredible. Thank you so much. I'm like, what is going on? Like he's so he sounds like he has his shit so together here on this phone call. But he doesn't at all. It's so he's able to turn a thing on. I think I, he might have just dosed him right. That, that I guess I, he just seems to be able to switch gears in a really in a really like crazy way. Like or yeah. But also he completely loses control sometimes. It's really weird. He's such a yeah. wild character study, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's an incredibly interesting, charismatic guy, but he's also just like. Because he's a nihilistic heroin addict that's trying, <laughs> that believes he's a genius, you know, yeah. and so he and he's careening through life. Yeah, yeah, he's it's totally amazing. But there was a thing you were gonna you were gonna add, you were gonna say something about the dandies or about their music, was it? I think maybe Joel Gian says this in the movie where like the dandy worlds they come out and there's a big promotional push for them. They have a video made by uh, Dave LaChapelle. Yeah, who was like a big fucking deal at that time. A huge deal. I mean, like, I don't, I knew who he was and I have no, I've never had any knowledge of fashion or that world. Right. Same, same here. And so he directs their video and I I watched that video today. It's it's great. It's a great video. I'm sure. And, um, And then like the Dandy Warhols are really like not appreciative of that. The guy bitched them out. Yeah, he was like, he was, oh, that shit is hilarious. And because, because yeah. Courtney is, 
he's kind of a dick too. I mean, he's like like Anton is clearly the villain in this yes. movie. The interesting thing, and I hadn't noticed it until the time I last time I watched it, because Anton is so obviously the villain that it really overshadows what a dick Courtney is too. Yeah, he's not a cool guy. You know what's the funniest thing of this movie is there's that thing in the beginning where he has that like dot in his face. He's like, yeah, this makes you feel like I'm Amadeus. He's supposed to be like the Amadeus giggle. And I'm like, this movie is fucking Amadeus with two Solaris. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> That's true. Wow. Actually, it, I w- if, if Anton was as, ta- as talented, was talented at all, um, yeah. he would, it would be a perfect Amadeus Soliari relationship between those two, but right. it's, it's just two Soliaris. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, yeah, that's where, that's but where it becomes a Mr. Show sketch to me because it's like, Oh, I mean, there was a Mr. Show sketch where it was like Amadeus, but with marching band music. <laughs> so like they play like marching band music and. Oh my God. Um, that's awesome. Uh, no, no, but so the, the point, Oh no, go on, go on. I, oh, I was just going to say it's, it's weird. I hadn't noticed like the first shots fired in this, in this rivalry. <laughs> Well, it was it was sort of when Anton invited himself to live in in Portland. Yeah, but also like he had obviously like out like overstayed his welcome pretty quickly, and yeah. he brought his whole band, and they're fucking annoying junkies. Yeah, um, and they wrote that song. They wrote the heroin song, and it was clearly, the song. clearly about yeah. Anton. And they wrote the yeah. they wrote a fucking song. And he played it for him in the car. It was so <laughs> why do you videotape for this documentary by a documentarian? It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. That he captured all this footage. <laughs> and, and, and Courtney Taylor Taylor does the the lead singer of Danny Wells. He does the narration of the movie, and he's so funny because he's a horrible narrator. Not good. He has that horrible like uh like Portland like vocal fry. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. Whatever. He's like he's like uh he's like shitty Werner Herzog or something. Yeah. Like, yeah like, and so he's like. When I played Anton, my new song, he was really not enthusiastic at all. Like he didn't and get it's a rise like, out of him. He was mad that he he was he was trolling Anton and trying to get a yeah. rise out of him. And I'm just like, wow, man, you're com- if you're gonna come come for the king, you best come correct. <laughs> you know, but he, that's an interesting interpretation. That's because I I didn't think of that. I thought it was like he was just so oblivious that he was just like such an oblivious narcissist that he pulled this thing out of his out of the air. Did not even realize that the song was written about Anton and just thought it was hipster bitchery of, of the <laughs> highest fucking form and just thought it was clever and was proud of himself and played it to this guy who he respects and just was totally oblivious to the fact that he's playing a song about fucking it's sort of an anti-heroin song to a junkie. Right. And, and, guy's face just drops but yeah i guess it could be i mean i feel like he was i feel like it was calculated i feel like he was i I don't know maybe i'm giving courtney too much credit for being like clever my only reason for thinking that is because then anton came back like a year later and wrote not if you're the last dandy on earth right yeah as sort of a retort although i I didn't actually i i confess i haven't listened to that song i imagine it sucks well, um, nor have I. They had the like the vinyl. They he gave it to them at oh yeah at the at uh when they were doing their CMJ showcase at the knitting factory, which was, <laughs> which had me very triggered of of like my like early days of being in New York and playing music because I played there a bunch. 
but like, oh really? Oh yeah, for sure. At that, the Knitting Factory was like a you. You remember? You, I'm sure you've. I was, yeah, I loved the Knitting Factory. That was right. like my jam. I love that place. Yeah, it was great, and but it was cool. They had all the I met Rudy Ray Moore. You met Rudy Ray Moore there? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, I was watching some band. Rudy Ray Moore was playing the next night, and he like stepped in in the back of the club. Band, I just sprinted to the back of the room. I'm like, oh, Dolomite. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean. That's the way to address him. Was, yeah, he, was, super, was he dressed up like Dolomite? Was he like wearing? Yeah, his... well, I mean, it wasn't like full Dolomite, but he was wearing a suit. Oh, good. He had an entourage with him. Too, oh, great. Was, Fantastic. Yeah. But the Knitting Factory, it was cool. Anton's <laughs> like on fucking rollerblades. Yeah, yeah, he's he's like wearing roller skates, all white and sunglasses, and he's with a, with a Russian, his, like a Russian winter hat on, like a yeah, big furry like a hat. hat. He's smacked out of his mind. He can barely, he can't walk. <laughs> he's on roller skates. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, go see this movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's, so it's great. It's so fun. It's the best movie. It's so entertaining. <laughs> it's endlessly entertaining. It really is. Yeah, he just has no inhibitions. Is what it is. No, like, at all. I yeah. always. Um, oh, the, the, the other comparison to the Brian Johnson mask, and they're like pe- '60s pastiche and like successful, more successful attempts is Austin Powers. <laughs> the Dandy Warhols, like they, because they're kind of like, kind of like that pulp blur, like you know, Brit pop. Like they yes. clearly were listening to like those bands, and there's and that's a lot of like observational bitching. Yeah, you know, like you have like Park Life and stuff like that. Sure, you know, or, or um, what's this? You know, the one about like. A Walter to a supermarket, you know, whatever. Common people, like songs like, you know, songs like that. A little bit right. of like slice of life, bitching, but like you hear it and you're like, oh, and the audience like recognizes themselves in it. I think right. like the Dandy, the Dandy Warhols were trying to target themselves with, in that space, right? Yes. And so then you have like, so then you have the strangest anti-drug songs of all time. Not if you're the last junkie on earth, which I thought was called heroin is so cliche, it, the, the chorus is actually heroin is so passe. Passe, right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, because we, t- you know, sometimes people talk about, like, pre 9 11 culture, like, this couldn't happen after 9 11. I'm like, oh, this is pre opiate crisis culture. <laughs> like, this is the only, you know, because, like, it came, like, right after, like, totally. the heroin chic thing. Yep. And, and, like, the supposition in the song is that you're this, somebody's doing heroin because they want to be cool. Yeah, right. And now, in our present reality, it's like, nobody does heroin because they want to be cool. They do it because, like, they can't afford oxycotton anymore right exactly you know? that's exactly that is 100 percent why people do heroin yeah but yeah that is that's funny i hadn't thought about that how like the time of that in their hits that that occurs again and again because then you also have the other song the vodafone commercial song uh bohemian like you right and that's also like bitching about hipsterism right? yeah you know, totally so, like yeah you want to come to a vegan restaurant i wait tables and it's kind of slice of life observational, but also like petty and whatever. But so it's like this criticism of hipsters, but without like any kind of critique. You know, it's like they're not saying anything of substance is wrong with hipsterdom, right? Right. They're just well, because they, they are hipsters too. Exactly. So that's yeah, the irony of the irony about hipsterism is that hipsters will never admit that they're hipsters. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing ever. Well, yeah. Not, so not, there's songs about hipsters and complaining about hipsters using the thing that people hate about hipsters the most, which is acting superior and saying shit that's cool is not cool. Right. Yeah. You know, like that's that's what they do. So it shows their high regard, like the high regard for himself, uh, self-regard for Courtney Taylor Taylor. And I think he thought that he was going to be this huge rock star. Yeah. It's really entertaining to see that 
delusion get deflated. <laughs> but then um, he's, they become famous and, and successful, but not, I think not in a way he wanted, which is also great. Because right. like their song, their so, there, it was a big promotional push for the fucking heroin song. Nobody buys it, but every kind of, I remember it was on MTV. Yeah, but, I remember um, that song for sure. I actually remember yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Because they played it all the time until they realized that nobody liked it. Right. But then their next song becomes a cell phone commercial. I didn't realize that. I don't remember that being a commercial, but it makes sense. Well, it wasn't. It, that's why they were successful in Europe, because it was a cell phone commercial in Europe oh. that was played all the fucking time. And that's where all their success comes from. And so it's not like really this hipster community. Yeah, they, they didn't like the revolution didn't happen. No, like, I mean, they were all, not part of it. Like you see their, them playing that big festival in England and it's all like fucking bozos. You know, like fat fucking normal suburban. Yeah, yeah. Bozos. It was like no. Mercury Rev and Weezer and no offense. I like some of those songs by the <laughs> But like, yeah, but it was yeah. like pretty like mainstream. Yeah. You know, yeah. mainstream alt rock, I guess, which is sort of an yeah. oxymoron, I guess. But but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting how they, they but they were like pretty like I, I do have to give them respect for like actually trying to be a good band. I think yeah. the, uh, the dude with the striped shirt whose name escapes me, the guitar player. I thought yeah. he was like, sort of like, he just seemed so deflated all the time by all the bullshit. Yeah. He was just like, I mean, he, but even, even he was drinking the Anton Kool-Aid super hard. Like he, even yeah. he was like, look, he's a genius, but he's really a pain in the ass. And fuck those yeah. guys. You know what I mean? That was like kind of his vibe, which I yeah. totally respect. But also like, I'm also like, but guy, can't you just, I mean, maybe you like to be in that scene, you had to like, fealty to, to anton was necessary I, or something. maybe but even because he's the guy that that has the most he sells out anton he's like he sucks i don't ever want to see that guy i fucking hate him he does and, say that, and yeah. That, yeah and then at the end he's like but i'll still buy his records <laughs> it's so amazing <laughs> yeah he's such a cock or, yeah why are you taken in by this flim flam artist <laughs> yeah it's like fucking music man you know it's so good oh my god it's so fucking amazing anton's whole thing how do yeah you... like how do you it's an underrated thing in to watch a movie where you hate everybody in it yeah yeah totally it's yeah. I, it is my, this is my favorite hate watch i really yeah fully believe that this is probably yeah. my favorite I've fought this movie maybe four times in my life. Because they, and every, I've everybody every in it is fucking proven to to suck. Like there's there's like a pointed <laughs> moment of like this person sucks for every part. Even the tambourine guy for a while, like no, yeah, he's, he's like charming and he seems to be like taking this in the right spirit. But then he like the band dissolves and he's like, oh, I wasted three years of my life. I'm like, what fucking ambitions do you have, tambourine <laughs> asshole? Exactly. But also, he's a total <laughs> Did asshole. Did not write your novel? Oh, I, I'm sorry. What was I, I do love this. Yeah, right. I do love that scene where he was, where they like, again, Courtney Taylor Taylor is trolling these motherfuckers because he, they're like, we shot our video and then we were going to like, we had a photo shoot coming up the next day and we knew that the, the BJM had a, had a big party at their house so we yeah. like went there and we didn't tell them we were coming. 
And it's just yeah. like, and it's that was a weird scene because they were like sort of trolling them, but the Brian Joseph massacre was like, "What? This is fucking cool. You guys are fucking nerds. Stop <laughs> trying to act like you're cool." Yeah, with yeah. like by like glomming on to our like our party, hang, like yeah. our like real legit rock and roll fucking party hang. It was right, it was yeah. interesting how they were just like how the Daddy Warhols thought they were trolling them. And that's, that's another scene I have a different read on. Like I thought again, that they're just being kind of oblivious. I mean, maybe you're probably right. Like it sounds more like normal human behavior, but I thought it was just like, <laughs> Oh no, this is our plug. This is our like thing. This is our connection to authenticity. These authentic rockers. And well, they're that's, so cool. That's what, and they, that's what Joel thought. That's what Joel. That's, I feel like that's what Joel like kind of said. And he's like, fuck these guys they are trying to like look authentic. And, but right, I, but, but they're I, tourists, right? But I also thought that like the way Courtney, like his voiceover, at least at the at, yeah. you know when he made the movie, he was like, "Huh, we're gonna sh- show these photographers that these guys are fuck ups." <laughs> like that was sort <laughs> yeah. of like the vibe I got from his from his uh, voiceover. Yeah, I, Which, I, mean, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading it, but it's interesting that you could read it either way because they they shot like. 2700 hours of footage or something Holy shit, i didn't know movie. that wow yeah i mean well they had because you could see there's a variety of different cameras in the movie yes you know use yes like the shot of the of anton's dad like oh. the, that little scene oh my god so tragic that shit is yeah, really it's sad so, it's super sad and it's weird that it's in this movie and it's the most simp- that's the most sympathetic you are for for Anton. Anton. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Totally. Because his mom kind of sucks. His mom which... is like, his mom is like, I mean, he was arrested like 50 times in Newport Beach. And I'm like, this is the most white privileged movie I've ever seen in my fucking life. Yeah. Arrested yeah. 50 times in Newport Beach. Like, oh, that's a good point. I didn't like, catch that. That yeah. is an amazing, that is like an incredible amount of white privilege. <laughs> There's no right. way like what? he would still be on the streets if he wasn't white. Oh, that was an important detail I missed because I, because I was watching the mom and the mom was like, yeah i got i called the cops on him i let him get arrested i was tired of it and just i assumed that it was you know lower middle class or something you know, i guess there's newport it, beach I, I it know. makes sense but she said yeah she said newport beach and i was like oh wow he's from fucking orange county like it's a it's a like that's <laughs> fucked up like like how do they yeah. have money the dad's a drunk the mom like it's a single mom right. situation i mean maybe that who knows I, I don't know but newport beach i mean you don't live there and in, in, like if you're broke right yeah oh yeah because i because one of my things is the dandy Warhols girl zia mccabe like she says we realize all of our parents are still together we're the most like well-adjusted band in, in rock and roll or something right and maybe it was like you know they're uh andre or yeah anton rather that he's not only like this authentic drug narcissist whatever but he's also like a poor person and maybe that was part of the sway like he was more authentic right 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 right, 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 right. maybe i don't know that was my maybe i'm incorrect on that no i could see how that would be attractive to like some you know rich kids never want to not pretend that they're poor i mean that's a thing right right? he does seem like a rich kid though to me you're right because he is like he's like yeah i play a thousand instruments or you know clearly by the way i looked it up on wikipedia he's listed as playing 18 instruments not 80 he (laughs) he does say 80 in the documentary, including like, yeah. including, I believe he says all this like Chinese shit, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he's like, like, instruments, is- like all this Chinese shit, you know? Yeah. Like, what the- I mean, that's, that's his Amadeus thing is he is like the most, he's like the Amadeus of arrogance in a way, you know? <laughs> 
And so fucking Courtney Taylor Taylor is trying to slurry that. And he's like, oh, I've been in a thousand music videos. David LaChapelle, when he's like, and he said that thousands. Yeah. He used that word thousands. <laughs> That's that, that line fucking cracked me up when he said, oh, he used that word thousands. Yeah. That, that's so good. Man. Yeah. It really is good. It, it sucks that they become successful because he wanted them just to fail. And that would be very funny because like, how did this person choose to make this documentary about this band? Yeah. You know, how do they pick this? And you get this great trajectory of them just fucking failing. Which, right. And they do become successful, but in a way that I think with them, for them would be unsatisfying. For me, watching this movie, it was interesting because I've, I've like, you know, I've played like some gigs where there's like tens of thousands of people at it. And I've also yeah. played those gigs that like the Brian Jones Out Massacre was playing at like the communist headquarters in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. And people. And they're like, Courtney said they played for 10 people for 10 hours. Yeah. <laughs> or, or for that many hours. Fucking amazing line. And, and, and yeah. it's like, it's so relatable to me to, to like, <laughs> play such shitty gigs and also to put, if you play music for long enough, it really becomes like a social passport, you know, like you'll play yeah. some like, insane fucking festival and then you'll play like the worst shittiest dive you know i mean it's it's gonna happen naturally at some point if you're gonna play anything basically any kind of music probably this is another great thing that they do in this documentary is they juxtapose those like their different tours like the jm touring america in a van wasted all the time playing the shittiest fucking gigs just the shittiest just garbage (laughs) gigs and like fucking Danny Warhol's like going to fucking Europe and like playing yeah. at like Glastonbury and like <laughs> these like huge festivals and like getting caught like in France with pie and like giving the cops a couple t-shirts and like the fuck off you yeah. know what I mean so meanwhile, meanwhile, <laughs> they're gonna like, slap on the wrist yeah, yeah. meanwhile meanwhile like the Brian Johnson massacre guys are like they get pulled over in like Georgia and like have to fucking like yeah. I don't even know why they got like arrested or something. And they address it. The the striped shirt guy again. Yeah. He has a name with an umlaut in it, I think. But like, <laughs> but even he's like, he's like, yeah, they're uh, we're a lucky band and they're a very unlucky band. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, you could you could you could really like break it down to that. Right. 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 I mean, you kind of make your own luck, right? I mean, that's like a sort of a right. Project. Right. Right. And it is partially because they're such a fucking mess. That's why they're yeah, lucky. they're a huge mess. You know who's who turns out to be the most pathetic character? I think, in my estimation. Matt Hollywood. I was just going to say Matt Hollywood, right? Yeah, the guy who feuds with Anton. Well, first of all, he thinks that he's toe-to-toe. He thinks he's on the same... Which, I mean, honestly, maybe he is. I don't know. Anton won't give anyone any fucking air in that band. So, like, maybe maybe it's true. But, like, you'll never know. Oh, no, but he thinks that... Yeah, but he sucks just as much. Like, it's all, like, fucking the two-chord shit with no rhythm. Right, 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 right. He's not any musically better, but I mean, but he thinks he's the same level of character. He's definitely charisma. not. Yeah. No, he has a great name. Yeah. Matt Hollywood is a good name. Matt Hollywood, I doubt it's got to be. And I bet that Anton gave him that name. Probably, you owe your name yeah. to Anton. Now, yeah, now bend, <laughs> yeah exactly. the, bend the knee to Anton. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll, yeah. although that, are, album... you read, are you reading that book, called, uh, Sammy Davis Jr.'s book? Yeah, <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> oh my yes, god, Bruno, Bruno Frank Sinatra says it's okay. Bruno Kirby, 
Oh, yeah. Bruno. Great Bruno Kirby, yeah. Rest in peace. <laughs> RIP to the goat. What yeah. a great scene. What a great <laughs> fucking scene. We just like completely shifted gears. <laughs> I know. And, well, because this, this is real life Spinal Tap in a way. It really is. It's totally it's yeah. spinal, it's, it's, it's spinal Tap after Spinal Tap, but in real life. It's fucking. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, it's mostly Dandy Warhol's and Puppet Show. Although, man, although, although Matt Hollywood did, he did basically like make that album happen. Yeah, I, I guess. But also, who cares about the actual? Album? <laughs> I was just, gonna, but I was just gonna, one of the nineteen <laughs> albums they made in that in those yeah. four years. Like, it's like, who gives a shit? Like, they're like, we have to bring in Mud to do this record because Anton's yeah. gonna keep his shit together. Yeah. Like, okay, well, where was Mud for the other seven <laughs> shitty albums? <laughs> It's like, why is Anton fighting with mud all the time? But yeah. like, here's a little reality, dude. We need to fucking get this done. You're not gonna punch in everything. Anton, also, Matt was it Matt Hollywood who said if in a perfect world, or it was the drummer uh, Davies, I think was his name, yeah. Jeff Davies or something. And he was like, in the perfect band for Anton, Anton would just clone himself and there would be six Antons in this band. What a what a great documentary that would make though. I mean <laughs> Yes. Well I think he he needs um G- whatever the tambourine player just for the Joel. vibe. He needs, yeah, yeah, he needs Joel for vibe for sure. Yeah, because Joel he looks like the guy from Beyond the Valley of the Dolls that it's my happening and it freaks me out. That guy. I don't think I've seen yeah. that in that Oh you gotta see that's that movie. A terrible the- move. I know that's a bad move. Wait, is that the drug the the pill popping it's the model. parody of that movie there's a the original one was called the valley of the dollars okay. and i was wondering about like pill popping girls in hollywood right and then russ meyer yeah exploitation for sure porno yeah, yeah. movie guy and After roger Pussycat. ebert yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah yeah and roger ebert they wrote beyond the valley of the dolls oh, which is just like there's a lot of nude scenes and a lot of weird drug stuff great yeah, it's it's a terrific movie. It's really fun, but it's also very it's very much like the palette that Austin Powers was made with. The music sounds like what the Brian Jonestown Massacre is kind of borrowed from, mm. and that look and feel like it's that it's from it's that milieu, you know? Right. Even though it seems like that's an out of nowhere reference, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pertinent. I mean, no, that that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's yeah. Matt Hollywood is kind of pathetic. In a way. Yeah, because like Joel, like Zia, Zia seems okay for a while. Then she has a pathetic, like, I'm, I bought all the cocaine all the time. <laughs> yeah, like she's whining about buying a bunch of blow for these guys. Then yeah. there's the guy with the shitty goatee who's like clearly the square. <laughs> Who gets kicked? Yeah, the drummer, gets the kicked, first drummer. Yeah, he gets kicked out of the war, Danny Warhols because he wants like writing credits or something. And and well, I think that what happened was probably the cell phone thing sold, and the rights were different. Oh, you know, they were sure. in a cell phone commercial, sure, and the rights were different, and they probably had. That's my interpretation. Of that that yeah, then that's how they made their money. That in touring, you know, these big festival tours and stuff. Yeah, you know, so they did the cell phone thing, and they got like oh like like one point two five million dollars or something. Holy shit! Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. that was on the um, like that was on the Wikipedia page. Some like like a a lot of money, and this like you know, fifteen years ago, so inflation and stuff. Yeah, but um, so they made a lot of money from it. So I'm sure there was some kind of thing in the band about who got what and what the rights were and who. Yeah, I think Courtney said he was getting half, and the other ba- and the band was splitting the other half. But he yeah. writes. But I guess he wrote all the songs. So I, I he mean... wrote all the songs. But then you know the band they get a million dollars, and it's sort of like, come on, man. There's a lot of dollars in a million dollars. Right. That's mil- a, that's my, a my assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's very, it's very sting move of him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's like, yeah, 
the guy who actually wrote the guitar line and every breath the, 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 the thing that gets sampled and the thing that everyone knows in that song. Yeah. yeah that and he's like, oh, no, I don't care about fuck you, Sting. I don't care. I don't even want my name on this one. Yeah, it's <laughs> like Sting can buy a fucking uh, Jaguar every day from that song alone. Yeah. Well, you need to buy one every day for the parts. Yeah. Um, isn't that the legend isn't, yes. that, isn't that the saying like you buy jaguar if, if you can afford a jaguar just buy two because you're going to need the parts from the other one to fix the first one i remember this movie like, has such a great lack of self-awareness it seems yes I, why else would you be in 2700 hours of footage <laughs> like yeah like yeah so yeah you have a wealth of stuff to fucking choose from you can cherry pick it I, love, I actually really love the first manager and which is also such a spinal tap thing he's such a yeah. he's such an ian um whatever his name is from spinal tap yeah. ian liam yeah. ian because he's clearly just like as much of a private school hipster as fucking yeah everybody in the band but he pretends to act tough except it's not convincing at all yes totally it's the same, yeah. thing. It's the same exact thing the only like, difference hey, come on guys anton doesn't get his wife to manage the band after it's the only difference <laughs> oh that's another like the darkest the most darkly funny thing in the movie he has that french girlfriend she's in the movie for one scene and she's complaining about his heroin use and then she's like they broke then she breaks up with him and instantly her life gets 100% better. <laughs> she, lives, she, like, she moves to Tahiti. She moves to Tahiti. It's like a photo of her like in a bikini on like a sunset beach. With her, with her boyfriend from another band who's like who's yeah. like a singer from another band. She's like, yeah, they moved to Tahiti. I'm just like, that sounds fucking amazing. Good yeah, this, the moment the fucking Anton is out of your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it fixes everything. It's so wild. A, it's Yeah, it really is true. He's like, he's just <laughs> such, he's so fucking toxic. He's the most. Yeah. To- he's one of the most toxic humans I've ever seen, ever. Like, uh, yeah, on, on, yeah. certainly on screen, he's just he's incredibly toxic, just all the time. He's one of the great movie villains. He really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like he has that thing. Is the thing about? And then they have the the last thing in the title credits, like uh, Andre uh, Anton was arrested, and he could, and he never saw his. He never met his infant son. He wasn't. He wasn't allowed to see his son. <laughs> It's just like Jesus Christ. Well, someone got it right. Yeah, <laughs> don't let then him see anyone and his kid at all. For sure, don't right. ruin that thing yet. Right. Oh, but I talked about like there. So I guess that they kind of mended fences. They the bands must have mended fences a little bit, like because they seem friendly enough on the on stage together. Right. Right. And right, right. Also, I sang you that that video this morning of oh. like, Anton being interviewed. More recently, I guess. it was on that was for Amoeba Records, like the record, oh, okay. the record store that I think actually sadly recently closed in oh, San, okay. San Francisco or LA. There was one in San Francisco, there was one in LA, but it's a great, yeah. huge record store. But you, but you, you were like, you watch that video, and you're like, damn it, I like him, and you're mad. <laughs> yeah, I was mad. I was, I was, I was ready. To, I was like, I was like, let's let's record this. I'm gonna roast this. <laughs> and then like, and then it's like, and I'm just like, he actually is really charismatic, and when he's not talking about himself. Yeah, he's actually kind of cool, and he was actually kinda, yeah. he was like, yeah, you know, I think I'm gonna really love this record, and I'm gonna love this. And he was buying some like real, like you said, Jazz 101 record. Yes, um, <laughs> but they were good yeah, ones. He bought, giant, they, they, he bought a Love Supreme by John Coltrane, Ross on Rollinkirk. He bought a Best of Ross on Rollinkirk. He bought a two two yes. Best of albums. He bought a Best of Herbie yes. Man. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Who I used to play with, <laughs> I used to with Herbie Man's son sometime oh yeah yeah Jeff that's Man. cool a uh, flautist no he was a drummer well. he was actually a drummer, oh, okay, ironically okay. 
yeah. play something really <laughs> loud if your dad's gonna play flute. And it was like a best of Ross on Roland Kirk, which is which yeah. great. I mean, those are great things to buy. And he and he was, I think he was like he was really interested in how Roland Kirk was like at Montreux, like giving out coke to the audience. Yeah, <laughs> which is there is really great footage of that, and it is super just wild to see. But um, I, I hadn't heard of that. I never heard that. Yeah, story. it's great. Yeah, Rossan yeah. Rollerkirk was not only an anti-Semite, he was also really, really fl- free with the blow. And he was blind, too. So, Oh, I didn't know he was an anti-Semite. I, I feel like I've heard that he was an anti-Semite. I don't, I, don't really, I don't really know the quotes. Yeah. But I feel like I've heard that. So, like, maybe, maybe he wasn't, and I'm just, like, I'm talking shit, and I probably shouldn't be. Um, yeah. Are, hey, are you confusing him with uh, um, uh, Adolf Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> I know you're gonna say that. It's so funny. <laughs> I was trying to do like the Norm McDonald's. Uh, hey, you, uh, can you see him? Uh, you hey, that, uh, do, you, do you think it was that uh, that uh, Bomar Gaddafi? Bomar uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gaddafi fella. Perfect. Yeah. No, I, I I can't remember where I heard that, but I heard that he was anti. He said some like pretty like fucked up anti-Semitic shit. But anyway, he still yeah, yeah. he still sounds great, and I, I actually really like a lot of Roll, Ross on Roller Kirk. But that's besides the point. The, the cool thing is that Anton actually, you know what I noticed for the first time is there's a scene where Anton and Courtney are in the front seat of a car, and they have the camera like on the dash, you know, showing them, and they're like yeah. listening to some like really good like straight ahead jazz guitar shit and i'm just like yeah. what's going on with these guys like i think that was that's is that the scene right before they play uh it's pretty heroin or so passe yes i think so i it might yeah. it might be it's right around that it's pretty early in the movie so yeah i think it is it might be that scene and i'm just i think maybe that was just what was on the i thought it was just like what was on the radio like oh, were in the car god damn probably you're probably right like django reinhardt kind of oh stuff, no it's right? not no it sounded more like it did it sounded like like wes or like it wasn't wet oh it sounded, okay. like, it sounded like very like kind of grant green or like you know, Jim, Hall, like some six, like you know, late fifties, early sixties, like oh, okay, just like a some sort of like straight ahead hard bop kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I think it might have been just like them listening to NPR and then switching uh, over to yeah, you're probably right. CD. I was giving them way too much credit. I could see Anton being like, yeah, this is jazz shit. I mean, I could totally play this shit. Like, no problem. <laughs> like, I, I've, like, I play all this. I know all these. I know like thousands of standards. You know, it's fine. It's cool. But like that. But the record, him buying records video was from like five years ago. Yeah. And if he's buying like jazz one hundred and one records yeah. five years ago, he probably wasn't like getting down to Grant Green. That does make that does make a lot more sense than than the thing I cooked up in my head. But I like no, I like your idea though. <laughs> They're secretly like listening to fucking hard bop. Yeah, totally. But the funny thing yeah. is, the, and you mentioned this, this the sideburns at like yes. the commitment to sideburns is just <laughs> inspirational. You look like John Quincy Adams. <laughs> totally yes i thought and i thought i read on his wikipedia page that anton lives in uh in berlin now with his wife and his kid and that was as of five years ago but uh yeah i yeah i saw that too and i i don't know and i thought maybe he found some peace himself like I mean, he he, looked, he has mental problems for sure. Like he's he, he right. That shit is hereditary, right? His dad was yeah. was uh, bipolar or paranoid schizophrenic or something. You know, is that way? Well, yeah, his dad committed suicide. Yeah. so you can make whatever inferences you want from that. I think his dad in the interview said that he was bipolar. Oh, okay, okay. I think so, or or something. It was it was the only <laughs> moment where I was sympathetic for anyone in that movie, and ironically, it was yes. Anton. 
Yeah, yeah. Although actually, when uh, Zia was complaining about buying all that coke for everyone, I was I felt a little bad for her too. Or also, I, how about yeah. when the striped shirt guy talks about the shotgun shells? Oh, what was that? He, Anton gave he's like I guess Anton saw him out in his yard or out in the yard or whatever. He's like, here I got this <laughs> present for you, and it was like yeah. this like gift package. That he yeah. opened up and inside was like shotgun shells with with, each, <laughs> with names of each person in the dandies like on it. It's like Jesus, yeah. Oh, dude, it's some that that scene is like he's just like he's just like yeah. So fuck that guy forever. Like he's like he's like he's basically oh, yeah. threatening my life. Like it's like fuck him. Yeah, oh yeah, that's the scene where he says he'll still buy his records too. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's so I, yeah. Crazy. I zoned out for the beginning. Yeah. I guess that the oh wow, I didn't catch that mm-hmm. one detail. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah, that's what you do when you're threatening to kill somebody. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's and it's funny because he was. Uh, there's also fucking amazing. Just like he's he's completely out of his mind. And he oh, yeah, oh, this, so oh, when he's at the knitting factory and he's like, he gives them the not if you were the last dandy on earth record. Yeah, and then someone's interviewing Zia, and she's like, he's like what do you think of the record? And she's like, oh, I think it's probably great. And they got him to, like, it was so weird. Like, he, they got him yeah. to autograph it. And, like, Anton's, like, outside the knitting factory. And I love the girl at the um, at the ticket booth in the knitting factory. She's like, don't let that motherfucker in. He's not getting yes. here. And I was just like, I was just like, yeah, motherfucker. This is, I love, right, there's, right, like, right. a little dose of, like, New York reality where someone's not, like, into your hype. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there's definitely, like, there's somebody like that at every, like, New York kind of yes. nightlife institution. For sure. No fucks given. That's that They're like, yeah. I'm not, not, not in your scene. I'm here to make my fucking money and leave. <gasps> but he's, like, on those fucking rollerblades, like, looking through the yeah, window. Yeah, and then yeah. the knitting factory had those big open windows out front. And he was just, like, yeah. looking in, like, kind of vibing Zia. It was the weirdest so creepy yeah. like serial killer shit right but but the reason i brought up the the record buying videos sort of pointing to a little bit of redemption for him is maybe yes. like maybe like there's you know he had a life beyond this movie like surprisingly do you think like, he got it all out of his system yet i mean just like like hopefully, <laughs> hopefully hopefully like 25 years of being a complete asshole like you well, can chill out but it was funny because he said, like, he picked up somebody's record, some band's record, and he was like, oh, yeah, when I met them, I said they wouldn't be shit if it wasn't for my band. And he was like, <laughs> yes. oh, so you're still pulling that bullshit? But then he, like, immediately backed off from it, and he was kind of, like, smiling. He was like, yeah, because I like to say weird, you know, I like to do kind of right. bullshit like yes, that. Yes, 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 he did say that. It's fucking Yeah, amazing. which, so is it, but maybe just, like, having a more cheerful framework for it in his mind helps? Or, or maybe that was absent from the movie. You know, I maybe oh, they edited it to take away his self-awareness of this stuff. You know? I, you know, there's so much of him not being self-aware that it's almost it's hard to believe that it, that isn't just like a symptom of him growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Just because he is so just irredeemable <laughs> like, throughout that whole movie. Like, I just can't think of a yeah. better word than just like, he just doesn't seem like he's ever gonna not be a complete asshole. But, right, right, but, right. But in that, but in that, in that little YouTube video, he seems like, I mean, he was charming, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like funny and like, he seemed like he really liked all that shit that he was buying and he, he, bought, yeah. but still, but he's still like, he bought that low standies album like that mariachi yes. band yeah that was the other thing he couldn't escape the movie like he mentions joel because he like says that 
Ross on Rollenkirk had a tambourine player. He's like, yeah, Super Joel. Is it and then, like Joel, but like way better? Which, yeah, which exactly. is undoubtedly true. But like undoubtedly true, but also like that's like your best friend. Yeah, totally. Man. It's a total like, dick thing to say. Yeah, you're <laughs> casually fucking, you know, just de- de- demeaning him. Yeah, you know, and yeah. Like I mean, thing. that's sort of what he does anyway. Yeah, in general. Like, yeah, that's, nobody's ever cared about the Dandy Warhols as much as him. That's a good point. Like he acts like they're they're a fucking big or important or even good band, which is not true at all. But yeah, so no, it's a great movie. I think everybody should see. It. If you like music, it's great and it's funny, even if you don't like music. If you don't like good. music, you should see it even more. It'll it'll, <laughs> yeah. it'll make you feel better about not liking music. <laughs> it's just like a fun kind of movie. It's a negative fucking vibe. Like it's not a oh for sure hate watching. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that makes it more fun in a way. It's like a David Attenborough. Yeah. <laughs> like like, oh, yeah. It's like watching a nature documentary for like rock, like wannabe rock stars in the mid 90s. Yeah, it's, but it's so nice because it's not, it's not it's like it's such a weird advantage for like their music to suck too. Yeah. Like I, th- I wish there's a documentary about like the closing time band or something. Like maybe there's some oh, yeah. secret narrative about them. Like they hated, they think she missed the train to Mars band or whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe there are a thousand stories in this city. Who knows? Yeah, right. Exactly. But I think that that era, I feel like that was really on the cusp of like that other shit come. I feel like they're, they're like early. Those bands, like, those, like, yeah, like, a little say, later. like you've said yeah. a couple times, like they, maybe at the time, like it made sense for them to feel like they were like being innovative. And I think yeah. I think that at, at, by the time like closing time band came out, it was like already kind of contrived pop yeah. rock thing that just sounded super mainstreamy. Right. God, maybe I do like these bands. Fuck, because <laughs> they're not hair metal. They're not grunge, they're and they're not hair metal. Yeah, and they're not. Yeah, they were kind of post. It's kind of post grunge. Yeah, a little bit. Because like, I guess because like, I think also the Dandy Warhols. Oh, you know what's what's a funny detail they brush right by is that they recorded a whole album when they were signed by a major label and it was rejected. That's true. It's wild. Yeah. And then I, there's another Wikipedia weird detail, but they did they released that album as part of a double album like 10 years later. Oh my god, awesome. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Might yeah. as well. We have it. We have yeah. it in the can. That's Have you ever seen Oh, this is a uh, sorry, I know we're going a little long here, but like have you, That's fine. Have you seen um the Wilco documentary? Yeah, I'm trying to break your heart. I, I feel yeah, I feel like Matt Hollywood. Oh, yes! Basically, that other guy. It's like the same. Yeah. It's like the same. He's like the Wilco, like the guitar player. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff Tweedy. And that's Jeff Tweedy's foil. Yeah, Jeff Tweedy, like the other guy in Wilco. Which I'm not a huge Wilco fan. Right. And I, I like Wilco I, after I, that guy left the band. <laughs> I actually like that album a lot. I like um, I, I like Yankee, Yankee yeah, Hotel Foxtrot. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. I, d- I do feel like at least they were trying to do some like pretty interesting shit. I like that drummer a lot too. Okay. Uh, I just think a lot of things about that album are interesting. And I feel like I feel like ha- adding Glenn Kachi to the band, that drummer, like really like pushed Jeff Tweedy's like sort of like he kind of had a, a very typical folk rock thing going on. And I think, yeah. I think like they, I think that album, like they really change. Like I'm not, I don't like really listen to Wilco albums before that album because I don't think they're all that interesting. But I think that album is like kind of interesting. And I think it kind of like they just started hiring ringers, ringer after ringer. You know, they just right, like, yeah. getting new guys in the band who are like better than the old guys. Jeff Tweet is right. like, oh, I'm gonna hire Nels Klein to play guitar. He's great. You know, like <laughs> he played with fucking interesting like 
free jazz guys in the 80s you know like he's like like he he like did the, i just feel like they're like their palette changed on that album and i think it, for the better mm. and i i also like that like warner brothers is like this album sucks you guys could just have it yeah. and then they like went and got super successful off of this album that they didn't have to like pay any recoup costs for which is right, really right. interesting uh, but yeah. yeah but that guy and he died, which is very sad. Yeah, he died. Yeah, because uh, lack of health insurance played a factor, as I recall. I, I hey, this is America. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. I think he had. Did he have cancer or something? He had? I, I don't remember the details. All I remember, I remember like Jeff Tweedy saying, "A wheel can't have two hubs" or something like oh that. It's so, like, remember, it's so James Hetfield what Lars when when Lars <laughs> in the bands I play and the drummer plays the beat. Oh yeah, that's that's actually okay. So th- those are three two great companion films for Dig is the fucking some kind of monster the Metallica, which is, which is great, which is also very hard to find streaming. I can't find it anywhere, man. I don't I don't know. Oh really? I guess I I should just I guess I have to just buy it on Amazon or something because I it's not on any of the services. Yeah, uh, and it has been for a while, and I and it's not on YouTube. I just can't find it anywhere. It used to be on YouTube, but I, remember, I, I think it was perfect for YouTube. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, for sure. Again, it's a hate watch experience. Yes. And, and it's an interesting narrative, you know, and also it's, it it recontextualizes Metallica in a really interesting way. It's like these guys aren't just a band. They're also head of this worldwide corporation. Right. Kind of, you know, this business enterprise. Yeah. That, but the difference between that and this is that like those guys were fucking established. You know what I mean? Right. right these right. guys were not established and we're just like, they were putting the cart before the horse in like a very profound way. <laughs> yeah. They're very entitled. I mean, that's another big so, thing about this movie. Yeah, so entitled. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. They're super entitled and they're super uh, l- lack of self-awareness. Yeah. I, I mean, that's uh, yeah. that's what makes this movie so great is 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 yeah. how the lack of self awareness and the entitlement. Yeah, I, I think it's good about yourself watching these. Videos. Yeah, 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 and also it's just it's just kind of fun because like you know you a lot of times like you watch like fucking somebody who is a genius or somebody who's not just a genius but somebody who's genuinely like char- like once in a generation kind of charismatic or that kind of person and they will exude some kind of arrogance and it can be off putting but you're like. Oh, he is Mick Jagger. Right, 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 right. Yeah, at some at some point, you know, you're like, oh yeah, he you know, he did fucking do this stuff that changed the fucking world. Okay. Yeah, Miles Davis. For, yeah, he's, he's fucking Miles yeah, Davis. Yeah, All yeah. right, I get you know, whatever. You know, and whereas these guys try to affect that and and they suck. And it's so interesting. <laughs> it's like you guys aren't <laughs> fucking fooling anyone. Or they're actually yeah. actually they're fooling tons of people, but well they're fooling but it has a you see the cap. You see the limit on it, yeah, which is great. That's true. That is, it's interesting to see the kid. The, the cap is the perfect word for it. <laughs> yeah. There's a limit. There's a limit yeah. to, to your fucking bullshit. Yeah, because there's somebody has that line like the first, like you know, the thing about like the A and R people really were over overvalued Dandy Warhols, but then 45 minutes later, it's like they also overvalued uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre. So that's that's really interesting to me, right? That, yeah. What was interesting to me is the other like quote unquote musicians, the guys from the Dandy Warhols, the the way they worship that guy, and even the guitar player guy who seemed like musicianship wise, who seemed to like kind of have his shit the most together. I don't know why. Which one? The Dandy Warhols guy? Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like he had, like, I don't know. I feel like those guys were, like, semi competent. No. Well, yes. And I think that 
Yeah, but it's weird. Like they don't have a bass player. Oh, did you notice that? I did. I guess was she playing key bass or something? Maybe she was playing key bass. But also, you see in a lot of their performance footage that she doesn't play anything. Yeah, she's she just, just like, shaking her hand. Yeah, just jumping up and down. And when you and it says on her Wikipedia page uh, was something which is she herself could edit. Okay, you know it says like she joined the band and she wasn't like she had very she had, like, no music experience. experience. Yeah, I did. I did read that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so I think that she doesn't. She's not a, an accomplished, you know, technically proficient right. musician. But there's bass on those records. There's bass on those songs. On on the yeah, yeah, it's very simple but effective keyboard playing, and some of it's you know, some of it steps up a little bit more, right? You know, but it's all like two or three note stuff. Like she's just like holding a sustained note. Fine. And I think that was probably the thing about them that was interesting when they came out was that they had this uh they're doing like the kind of standard rock groove you know whatever sure but but they had somebody playing like a little bit of droney keyboards over it a droney analog techno-y keyboard yes you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. for sure that was i think that would have been the thing about them that seemed novel like the panic in Panic at the Disco kind of thing, I guess. I guess those guys kind of do that, kind of, or like the Killers or something kind of did that later. Like those, like- right? I mean, it became kind of standard operating procedure later, but at the time it was relatively innovative. Are you trying to say the Dandy Warhols were like the real innovators of like of like early two thousands dance rock? <laughs> no. Okay. No, because also I guess I'm, to- I'm totally kidding. Of course, yeah. of course. No, fucking like Monster Magnet did it better. If we're talking about like disreputable bands that are actually have a fucking amazing song. Oh wow, course, Monster you know? Magnet. I haven't thought about those guys. Yeah, oh, good one. Do their their song uh, "I've Been Stuck in Your Closet." That that's oh. an, that's a fucking all timer. Good. I was hoping you would sing a little. T- <laughs> sing a little tonight. <laughs> this podcast is just this, this podcast without you fucking. that song fucking rules that's i mean that's much better than anything the dandy worlds but it also if you listen to it there is a keyboard thing that happens in it that is similar to what i'm saying about the dandy world okay so there there was at least parallel thinking and i think that was around the same time oh i should listen to i haven't heard that in so long i I it's so good it holds up it holds up so well. The the guitar, the opening guitar, it's uh, it's tuned down to like C sharp. It's like Tony Iommi. Sharp. I was just, I was, ah, yes. I was just gonna say it's like uh, Into the Void. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, yeah. This I'd say no. Dig is so good, and uh, I could talk about this movie for like another two hours. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's an endless like it's an endless just resource of yeah. Of, and I felt the fuck. And listening to the the. Uh, Brian Jones, how mask just unlistenable music though. Except for those two songs, they're pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean they have a. I mean, I will, I will admit that they have a a vibe. Yeah, but their vibe is like droney. Just, I mean, it's it's. I I get what they're going for, but there's no there's no like there's no tunefulness to their songs. Right. You know what I mean? There's nothing. There's nothing there. I'm just like. I can't remember what any of their songs sound like at all. At least right. I, I have to say, Danny Warhol. There's a couple songs where I'm like, okay, this is this is has a they have a hooky thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny. Well, they're trying. They're trying to write hooks. Yeah, too, yeah. Exactly. And it's funny because I was watching, like, I just watched it again this afternoon after like seeing it, you know, like a month ago or whatever. And, and I was just like, yeah. There's a scene right at the beginning where Anton's like, yeah, this is the Dandy Warhols. They're great. You know, we're going to take over the world together. And he's like, and he's like humming along with their tune. And I'm like, yeah. Anton looks like so happy listening to this Dandy Warhols song. I'm like, does he yeah. know that he's going to like completely try to sabotage them and his own band at this point? I guess, I mean, he doesn't obviously, but like, 
It's probably always in the back of his head that he's just going to, like, fuck up whatever he can. But I think in that scene, too, he's, like, playing it for somebody, like, hey, I'm going to blow your mind with this band, which is so preposterous. Like, you know, you're fucking... Sorry, I just took a sip of water and I was just about to fucking do a spit take. (laughs) When you said that, because it's totally fucking true. It's so funny. Like, imagine that this man's going to blow your mind and it's like, heroin is so passive. It's like if there's any band that's not going to blow your mind and you're like, yeah. "Eh." If there's like the most meh band ever. Yeah. Not terrible. (laughs) Just like they're just fucking whatever. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, they have, their songs are fine. A shade over mediocre kind of. They're just band. like milk toast or whatever. Yeah, uh, that seed is just like when I see that, I'm just like, oh, you just wait, Anton. <laughs> like, yeah. you just wait and see what happens in this film. Yeah, <laughs> that's like you. Well, you don't. Yeah, you don't realize you non-fictional person that you can just did foreshadow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is. I love how like, and it is the most Spinal Tap thing in this movie is how eventually all the A and R like they just start getting people to go to their concerts to see what a disaster it's going to be. Like, yeah, because they anticipate yeah. There, there's so much hype about what a fucking mess they are <laughs> that people start yeah. going to their shows to see if they're going to like get into a fist fight on stage. Yeah, okay, that's what, that's what I was going to ask you. Have you ever had like a physical altercation on stage? No! Career as a musician? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've had arguments before. Like, it's normally like, turn yeah. down. no, you turned down. It's like that kind of shit. But like, yeah. and when I was much younger, but like, no. Yes, <laughs> definitely not. And it's not like, uh, I mean, you shouldn't. That's not definitely. I'm pretty sure that's not what music's about. <laughs> I don't know. They like Norwegian death metal. Yeah, well, those guys just kill each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've never had an altercation on stage physically. I don't think. Oh, I did sort of once, but it wasn't something like that. This is a weird story. I was playing okay. a gig where someone was sitting in on my gear, and yeah. the dude was like not playing. Like, he just wasn't playing nice with everyone else in the band. And he started, yeah. like, kind of just, like, taking my gear. And this is, like, you know, I'm, like, poor and young, trying to, like, keep my shit together. And, like, my gear is, like, not – I don't have super fancy gear, but it's all I got, and I don't have a lot of money. So, like, the, yeah. he's, like, the drummer goes and, like, turns his turns the amp off because this dude's playing like an asshole. And yeah. um, this guy's, like, moving – like, pulling my gear and just, like, pull, pulling the cable and, like, moving all the shit around. And I just, like – went on stage and started choking him and yeah Yeah, well he was like breaking my shit basically oh yeah yeah yeah. i was like kind of like trying to subdue him from doing it um was why was he doing it was he just like mentally not there maybe so like there was he seemed super weird okay it got broken up pretty quickly which is good um and he got removed from the club the dude was super out of line Right, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Maybe I overreacted, but also, like, people were like, yo, stop doing that. Like, it was like he had been warned. It wasn't, like, the first. Yeah. But that was literally the only time I've ever, like, had a physical. Yeah, and that, that was somebody quiet. stealing your stuff on stage. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> or he was about to break it, and I was just like, no, yeah. stop. Don't break my shit. Like, it's all I have <laughs> right now. But that was yeah. so weird. I don't think I've ever told that story before on a podcast. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hot take. I have an exclusive. Yeah, an exclusive. Great. That's what I mean. 
got a hot take. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about other times you choked. <laughs> that was it. That's it. That's basically <laughs> the only violence I've ever, like, you know. But the way that you first responded to the question of, like, have there been a fight on stage, are you, like, I couldn't even conceive of it, of it happening. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, with it, with someone yeah. who I was friends with and, like, who, like, who wasn't breaking my shit. Yeah. For yeah, sure yeah. not. Like, like, if someone started singing the song I wrote that I normally sang, I don't think I would, yeah. like, throw my guitar down, go to the other side of the stage, like, rip the microphone <laughs> <laughs> throw it at them or whatever and then like, yeah and then like get bit by that same guy later yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the wildest shit where mal who was like oh shit yeah, like, i have a bite mark <laughs> it's like i'm like yeah like you fucking animal that anton bit you what the f- like, yeah that-, that was weird too it's like okay so anton bit him and it sucks and, and anton's clearly you know fucking sociopath fucking yeah whatever totally yeah he yeah he's a, he's a mentally ill violent guy but also why is he calling the record label you know like is yeah the guy fucking <laughs> bit him yeah he's like, like why is he making that phone like, call why are you fucking snitching to the label <laughs> yeah, what, what does the record label care you know if it's like oh the guitar player quit all right whatever yeah they don't you give know. a shit and also like <laughs> yeah are you acting like this is the first time anton bit you yeah, I, I I don't know. It's weird. It's sort of like he doesn't have a boss to call, so he's right. He calls the right. He's, that's label. HR. Yeah. He's calling HR. Yeah, I I think that was his weaselly little shit. You know, he sucks moment. To me, yeah, is that totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though it should be the time when he's the most sympathetic, because he was a salsa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He still <laughs> looks like a douchebag. The funny thing. Yeah. Then the, the, like, it's like they're like, is that your blood? No other people's blood, or whatever it says. <laughs> yeah. They have blood well, all over you. Yeah, it's from other people, from punching <laughs> them or something. He says something ridiculous. Yeah. I'm just like, oh my God, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, oh, what a, yeah he's great. What a tour. Yeah, I might have... I might watch the movie again after we stop. Oh, yeah, man, you should. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. you're, you're never going to regret that hour. <laughs> minutes of the gig. Never. I mean, it, but it came out also on it. I wish I had the DVDs. I had the DVD for a while. There's a whole second disc. What? Of, yeah. There's a whole second. You didn't know that? No. Yeah. There's a whole second disc of the DVD. It was a two disc set. Yeah. And I never watched the second disc. I might have it somewhere. I'll look around for it. Wait, do you oh do you have the first disc? Or did you watch it on YouTube or something? <sighs> no, I I watched I bought it on I rented it on Amazon. Oh look at you. You're very that's you're putting some more money in Anton's pocket. He probably needs it. Uh, yeah, I don't mind. I know it's a good movie. Whatever. And it was also like two bucks. For so, sure. It's a hundred percent worth the rental. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um but I didn't know there was a second disc. What's on the second I disc? I think there's a second. I think so. Fuck. I, mean, I have no idea. I'll, like, order that shit tomorrow. <laughs> I know that there's a second Chat, Yeah. Yeah. So I'll order that shit and buy a DVD player <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> Again, it's, it's really funny because, like, their music is so unlistenable. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> they should just make documentaries. Yeah, they should. Absolutely. It should be like Gigi Allen. Like, he just goes out. Does this fucking like weird thing for one minute? So everybody's like, "Oh yeah, I saw Anton. He took a shit on stage and he punched a girl." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Did you ever see the Gigi Allen movie? By the way. No, I have not. It's great. Oh, I should watch that then. Maybe it's I'll watch it's that right it's now. it's gross as fuck, but it's sort of on a similar vibe. Well, Gigi you Allen makes yeah, it gross. It was the first movie that Todd Phillips did. Wait, who's Todd Phillips? 
He directed the Joker and the Hangover. Oh, that guy. Okay, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was his 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 first thing was he fucking did this like documentary about Gigi Allen where he followed around Gigi Allen the last month of his life. Oh my god! You know, I feel like I've seen that. Like, I've and he filmed his it funeral. Watched it. Oh, wow! Awesome. Yeah, where they like had him in a like they put ice in the coffin and they had cool beers with it and shit. How did he die? A uh, drug. Uh, drug. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, OD. But anyway, the Todd Phillips movie is great. GG Allen doc. Okay. Yeah, yep. I mean it's, it's like, he, yeah, he sucks. Like hated. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. It's oh really wow, it's from '93. That's an old movie. Like for, yeah. For uh, all right, I'm gonna find that. I'm gonna find it streaming. I'm excited to watch this. <laughs> it's uh, right, there's a lot of there's a lot of excrement. I imagine. Yeah, it's gross. It's gross and hateful. <laughs> <laughs> it's great it's a good movie it's kind of like yeah it's it's but it's on a similar vibe as fucking dig i think there's a bunch of companion films you know those are the good rock and roll movies <laughs> yeah the yeah, like, doc dig i'm trying to break some kind heart. of monster some kind of monster. yeah the, yeah the 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 the, the uh, wilco one's okay yeah and give me shelters a murder in it and even that's kind of a weirdly boring movie it's not as good as dig it's not it's the fucking well, Rolling Stones. Give Me Shelter is a lot of like. Well, I just think like the way they film those. I mean, they're just, the way they're they're edited. It's not like this is edited so eloquently. It's like it's such a yeah. It's like they they build a narrative through the editing. I mean, right. Is just like oh, and also yeah. Basically. And there there's nothing of the importance and cultural memory of Altamont right that's you know in it. So they're just have they're free to build this narrative about interesting. It's all interesting character moments instead of. Trying to document something important. Right, 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 right. exactly. Yeah. There's no Hell's Angels, Hell's Angels in this one. Yeah, fortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Let's wrap it up. Yep. We've it's we're almost at the two hour mark. Dig two thumbs up. 